talk tonight about a lot of a lot of the voices that are speaking into what's happening around the world and literally this morning I was going to tell you about 60 million refugees and it's 63.5 it's climbing fast um, before I do that though it's a little unnerving when you're, you're speaking and someone in the audience has more experience more years doing Muslim ministry and outreach then you've got yours breathing. And so Don McCurry is here, and he's written a lot of great books. And check them out if you, if you guys are interested. And we just thank him for being here. And this book, Serving God in a Migrant Crisis, is available for $10 tonight. And it's a great book. The co-author just spoke to you guys. And it, uh, it, it does a lot of good teaching us things about the, the, real, the reality of the situation and God's heart and things we can do in um, the refugee crisis that's before us. Now, I want to talk to you guys, but something really unusual is happening right now. I've taught in a lot of places, and not to sound all braggadocious, because just randomly God has brought me places and I haven't planned on it. And I've talked and taught at a lot of places for a lot of years now. It's adding up and it's kind of crazy. And everywhere I've ever taught, there's always been somebody who's prayed for me but never been in the audience. And it's my bride right there. And she's here for the first time to actually be in the crowd. And so I'm really nervous because I'm not sure she's going to want to go out with me after this. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. She stuck with me. Um, you guys, there, it was mentioned a couple times about fear. And I know the Bible and I know God's heart for the nations and I know his desire to, to see everyone saved and how reluctant he is to uh, bring punishment on anyone and how patient he is. And I think we all know that. We all experience that. And then, even though I know all that, if I watch the news, I get kind of angry. I suddenly get like, man, our boys got to go over there and bring the smack down. That's what's got to happen. And I'm serious. I can switch that quickly because I hate the idea of living in fear. And, and, it, and it stirs me to be angry, honestly. And that's not right. It's not right. And it's a, a little bit um, disheartening, but Christianity in America isn't really seeing the big picture. They're not really grasping it. I'm going to move this just a little out of the way. Um, so I want to talk to you guys, and hopefully, hopefully, Lord willing, <laughs> By the time I'm done, and I won't take too long, you'll be able to uh, say with confidence that God is doing something. And when you encounter people who are, are frustrated and angry because they're, they're tired of going to the movie theater and wondering if someone's going to come in and shoot, and they're tired of hearing of, let's see, in the past two years there have been 140 or so, 146 terrorist attacks in 26 countries. And, and we're all 
you know, it can harden our hearts, can it? And frustrate us. And the truth is, you guys, God is still in control. He's still on his throne. And actually, it gets even better than that. It gets even better than that because God has a plan. Psalm 46.10, guys, speaks so clearly to us in this day. And it says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. And what an amazing comfort, right? We can be still and know that God is God. And his plan is to be exalted throughout the whole earth. Christ said, Lord, your kingdom come, right? Your will be done. And that's, that's the day we're working toward. And God is not, his foot's not slipping. His plan is going to happen. And we can be still. And, and the world is in turmoil. Guys, we are the ones who are called upon to, to be optimistic in a world in turmoil. To be confident. And, but are we? It's a good, good question. I hope in about 20 minutes we will be. Genesis 18. And of course, if you're going to talk about Islam and the history, you've got to go back to Ishmael, and of course, you've got to go to Genesis. But I want to actually start with a, a, a kind of a, a different spot. Genesis 18. And this is about the destruction of Sodom. But I think it really applies to what we're facing today. In verse 16. Then the men rose from there and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them. The men, this is a Christophany, Christ and two others appeared. And Abraham saw them, and he realized this is, these are angels of the Lord. And this is a Christophany, meaning the very appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. And so as they're walking, Christ says, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? What a curious question for Christ to ask. And we've got a lot of questions that we're asking all the time. And this is an election year, and people are asking a lot of questions. If we vote for you, what are you going to do? And you, what are you going to do? And different news stations are saying different things. And, but really, what's the major question here? Lord, what are you doing? And the Lord's saying, saying here, almost to himself, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? What... It just kind of blows my mind that he would start this conversation. It seems even a little bit random. But it's not. The truth is, unless God reveals what he's doing, we will never know what God is doing. And so we have to ask ourselves, God, what are you doing? And then ask God, God, will you show us what you're doing? Because unless you do, it's really hidden from us. It's really hidden, and we don't know. And so for, for Christ to say within himself, or maybe to his two partners that he's traveling with, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? And what if the Lord was asking us that, asking himself that now concerning everything that's happening around the world? Shall I hide from the body of Christ what I'm doing? 
I don't think he's, I don't think he's going to hide it. I don't think that's his plan. I don't think his plan is to hide it. The, the, the question we've got to ask is where do we find it? Where do we find that answer of what God is doing? Because when we know that God is doing something, as Christians, as the body of Christ, when we know God is in it, we get excited. And big things can happen when we know that God is in it. And I don't think God is hiding from us what he's doing around the world. And in his word, we're about to discover what exactly that is. Since Abraham shall surely become a great nation, great and mighty nation, and the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord and do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Well, that's a pretty good motivation for the Lord to share with us what he's doing. So we can share it with our kids. We can teach our kids to love righteousness and do justly because we're the Lord's anointed. So we are the fruit of the promise made to Abraham, aren't we? Through Abraham's seed, all the nations will be blessed. And guess what? We're living in that. We just looked at a map that shows financially we're truly blessed. But spiritually speaking, eternally speaking, we're super rich. The issues that come up, and it's, it's kind of becoming frightening, and you're seeing it in the body of Christ, is we aren't going here for understanding of what God is doing. In fact, we're not even asking what God is doing. And we, we hear about a terrorist attack, we go on TV and we watch it, we watch what's happening, and we say, what's Germany doing? What's Sweden going to do? You know, what, what are they doing in Brussels? What's Obama going to do? And we're asking about all these other people, but we're not asking what's God doing. And it's crazy, but the way things are going, I'm afraid my kids are going to walk around and they're, they're not going to ever consider what did God do this whole time and what's God been doing. In the, in the New Testament, Paul criticizes the church for saying, I am of Apollos and I am of Paul, right? Aren't we all of Christ, right? And it's starting to become... Well, I am of Fox News. I am of CNN. Well, we can't get along, so see you later. And it's kind of ridiculous. It's crazy. So here's our source. And this trumps everything. And if you're talking to a Christian about what God is doing, and they're quoting someone from a local news station, and I watch these stations too. The news is good. <laughs> you want to be informed, obviously. Then you can, I hope by the end of this, you can say a few reference points of what to quote and say, this is what but actually God is doing. And I hope you can do that. So stick with me. We're going to go fast, really fast. But it's going to be good. Ishmael is the original firstborn son of Abraham. The Muslims claim to be the descendants of Ishmael. Long before there were Muslims, there was Ishmael, right? And the big debate and the big discussion is all Muslim, 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 Muslim. But it's all about Ishmael. It's really all about Ishmael. It's not about ISIS. It's not about how to defeat ISIS. It's really all about Ishmael and the family of Abraham. This, this, uh, this book here, Healing the Broken Family of Abraham.
That's what it's really all about. Sarah was old, about 77 years old. She knew the promise of the Lord that she would have a baby with Abraham. She ran out of time, ran out of patience. It's not going to work. So she says, Abraham, I give you Hagar. Hagar, she's going to have the baby. Of course, this is logic, right? Abraham says, okay, and take, literally takes Hagar to be his wife. And Hagar has Ishmael. And Ishmael is the reason we're here today. He's the reason we're here today. The angel of the Lord says to, uh, to Hagar, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. And he shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all of his brethren. The uh, prophecy about Ishmael is something that we're seeing every day on the news. He shall be a wild man, meaning you're not taming him. His hand will be against everybody. Everybody's hand will be against him. We just talked about over 140 different terrorist attacks that happened in 26 different countries. Every hand is against him, and his hand is against everybody. And there's a lot of debate and conjecture about, well, are the, is, are, are the terrorists actually descendants of Ishmael? And they sure do fit the bill perfectly. More than anyone ever has in the history of all of humanity. <laughs> they fit the bill. We don't exactly know. We know that Abraham had children through many different wives. The Jewish tradition and their book of Jubilee states that Ishmael, his descendants, who Abraham sent to the east, and, and Keturah, his, Abraham's third wife, Keturah, who Abraham sent to the east away from Isaac, the tradition is that their families intermingled and married, and, and now today we have the Arabic people throughout the whole Middle East. And this happened over 4,000 years ago. But as a Christian and growing up in a, a church that I didn't grow up in a, a good church, it taught, it was a religious sect. They didn't teach the true gospel. But um, they did teach about Abraham, 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 and Isaac, Isaac, Isaac. Never was Ishmael mentioned, except that Ishmael is the way of the world, uh, salvation through works, and Isaac is the way of God. But never did they mention that God loved Ishmael. Never heard that, not once. Never heard that. Never did they mention that Ishmael was the seed of Abraham that God loved and that God had a plan for. Never mentioned the prophecy about Ishmael. And this is a biblical illiteracy that the church is facing today, and it cannot defend what God is doing because we're illiterate to these truths. Every time Abraham and Rahab talk about Ishmael, it's always woe, and it's always sad. And every time God mentions Ishmael, it's always with a plan, and it's always positive. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting, isn't it? Because every time I heard about him, oh man, his kids are killing people. That's all I ever heard. Well, it's not the case. Abraham 
married Rahab. They had Ishmael. And the Lord tells her, the angel of the Lord appeared to her. This doesn't happen often. It happened with the birth of Isaac. I didn't read through every time in the Bible it happened, but we all know it happened with John the Baptist, right? It wasn't the angel of the Lord. It was the archangel Michael. And it happened with Jesus. And now this woman, Rahab, an angel of the Lord is appearing to her. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. Never did an angel of the Lord appear to my mom to say, Aaron, Barb, Dan, Christy, or Emily are going to be born. Behold, you are pregnant. Never did it happen. It only happens a few times in Scripture, and every time it happens, it's really, really important. Really important. And the angel of the Lord goes to Hagar. Behold, you are with child. You shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, which means the Lord hears. That's awesome. Then, she later on, Genesis 16, verse 13, she says, Then she called on the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. Isn't that awesome? Sounds a lot like a Christian, doesn't it? You are the God who sees. Sounds a lot like somebody who really witnessed God in their life. Because she did. In chapter 17, And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. In other translations, it's interesting, the, the variations in translations concerning Ishmael. But in other translations, Oh, that Ishmael may receive your blessing. And um, Abraham loved Ishmael. Then God said, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, Ishmael, I have heard you, Abraham. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac. God's pretty positive and optimistic on his view of what's going to happen with Ishmael. Ishmael spent about the first 14 years of his life being the only son. And he had a very close relationship with his father. He was circumcised the day that Abraham was circumcised. Before Isaac was born, circumcision happened and Ishmael was there. And he knew exactly what was going down. Then... He knew that his father hears from the Lord and walks with the Lord and obeys the Lord and moves because the Lord told him to move. Ishmael had a great father. And his father loved him. And God loved him. And God used him. And then you've got the, the scripture I started with. The Christophany. When Christ comes down and he's like, hey, I'm going to go check out what's going down in Sodom. The cries have come to my ear. And guess what? I'm going to go check it out. And Ishmael was there. Ishmael saw the smoke rising from Sodom. He may have gone to check out Lot's wife when he heard that she turned into a pillar of salt as a 13-year-old boy. He was there. He saw all this. He saw God moving in mighty ways. He grew up in this. That's pretty crazy. 
That's what he grew up in. And he knew the one true God. How could you not? So, Ishmael heard firsthand the whole story of what Abraham encountered when the Lord came to check out what's going down in Sodom. And Ishmael saw his father say, Oh, Lord, far be it from you to destroy Sodom. If there's 50 righteous people there, don't destroy it. And the Lord said, For 50, I will not. And then Abraham, they say he had chutzpah because he kept pushing the Lord. Chutzpah, chutzpah. Abraham said, how about 40? Yep, 40. 30? Yep, 30. 20? Okay, 20. How about if there's 10 righteous? Okay, Abraham. If there's 10 righteous, I'm not going to destroy it. Ishmael saw all that. Ishmael was there. He heard it all. He knew the heart of God. What does that teach us about the heart of God? The heart of Abraham, there's a lot of evil going down in Sodom. The heart of God, I cannot allow evil to go on forever. And Abraham negotiates with the Lord. We had a missionary here, and he's a missionary to Muslims in Detroit. And I just love this guy. And he was sharing, and after he got done sharing, he was in the foyer, and one, someone at our church went up to him and just, and just said, man, I just wish we would nuke everyone. Nuke the Muslims. That's crazy. Isn't it? Abraham's like, hey, if there's even 10 righteous, please spare the city. If there's even 10 righteous, spare the city. And we hear about everything that's happening out in the Middle East, and we, and we see the pictures of the children, and our reaction can, can be anger and frustration. I saw the movie 13 Hours, and I was so worked up about these people coming to kill our soldiers. I was so worked up about it for a couple days. But the truth is, there's a lot of righteous people out there. There's a lot of them. Our brothers and sisters in Christ are out there. We better not be nuking them. <laughs> Lord, don't do it. Don't do it. Please, Lord, don't do it. Far be it from you, Lord, to do that. So Abraham had Ishmael. Ishmael had 12, his, his 12 princes. Sarah dies. Abraham marries Keturah. Keturah has Midian and Sheba and all kinds of sons. The question is, guys, is Ishmael in heaven? Have, have you asked that? I've been asking that question. I've searched the scripture. God, what, what do you got going on when this is all done? What is Ishmael's actual future? Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah 60 is a prophecy of the millennial kingdom of Christ. And in Isaiah 60, the only people really specifically mentioned, not the only, but mostly mentioned, is the entire family of Abraham. Abraham's descendants through Sarah are at the millennial kingdom, worshiping the Lord. Abraham's descendants through Hagar are there too. Abraham's descendants through Keturah are there as well. And now you're a descendant. Imagine this, guys. You're a descendant through 
um, Isaac, right? Through Sarah, you're a descendant of Abraham. You're a Jew, and you're reading this. And you're seeing names in here like Midian and Sheba, Kedar, Nebaioth. And you're reading all these, and you're saying, well, hold on. Kedar and Nebaioth are descendants of Ishmael. Sheba and Midian are descendants of Keturah, Abraham's third wife. And then, oh, here we are. We're Israel. And we're all in the same place at the same party. All of Abraham's family. Abraham was told, you know what, Abraham, I am going to take care of Ishmael because he is your seed. And God loves the seed of Abraham. And then Paul swoops in and he changes the whole enchilada. He changes it all up. And anyone is of the seed of Abraham who puts faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? You know, the gospel started. It started in the Garden of Eden. It started there, right? When the devil was told, hey, the seed of the woman is going to come and she's going to crush your head, Right? But the covenant through whom that would happen started with Abraham and started with his family. And we see in Isaiah chapter 60, Abraham's whole family, all of them, are there worshiping the Lord, bringing gift offerings to the Lord. And the Lord literally turns and he says, let me read this to you. Let me actually read it to you. Exchanging the names, I'm going to say the heritage. Starting in verse 6, the multitude of camels shall cover your land, the dromedaries of Abraham's children, and Abraham's children. All those from Abraham's children shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Abraham's children shall be gathered together to you. The rams of Abraham's children shall minister to you. They shall ascend with acceptance on my altar, and I will glorify the house of my glory. And so now I'm going to read it to you the way it's, the way it's read. The multitude of the camels shall cover your land, the dromedaries of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come to you. They shall bring their gold and incense, and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. They shall ascend with acceptance on my altar. This is Abraham's future right here. Through Ishmael, through Sarah, and through Keturah, through his wife. This one dude had faith, and he was given a promise. Many nations are going to come from you. And through your seed, and it happens to be through the line of Isaac, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That includes the, nation, the other nations that come out of him, doesn't it? So I'm going to wrap it up with a little something here. And it comes from uh, Mark chapter 10. But before I do that, I just want to point out to you uh, um, something crazy about the way God made everything. The way God made everything is that everything wants to return to its source. And at a funeral, we say ashes to ashes, dust to dust, right? And the Bible says from dust we were made to dust we return, right? 
The monarch butterfly, the highest traveling, highest literally altitude-wise traveling insect in the world, travels 10,000 feet up in the air, the monarch butterfly, and it travels a long way only to return back to its source, right? Salmon do it up and down the sea. Did you know the electron has a goal? We harness the electron and we make lights, but what's the electron's goal? Its goal is to get back to its source. That's the earth. Every electron constantly trying to get back to its source. Isn't that weird? The gospel and the covenant of Abraham started with his family. And we see in Revelation 7, we see it coming back to its source. We see the gospel coming back, don't we? We all know about it. When the 12 tribes, the 12 tribes receive Christ, we all know about that in Revelation 7. I think if we ask the Lord, what are you doing? It gets pretty exciting. Revelation 7.5, from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. It started with them. And right at the end, when, at the culmination of the times, it comes back to them, doesn't it? The gospel comes to its source, doesn't it? Just like everything else that God created. How he did it and the way he did it is just amazing. There's something strange, and it seems random, but God throws this verse in. Christ is talking to his disciples in Mark 9, or Mark 10, 29. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and for the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. And then at the end, he just throws this in there. But many who are first will be last and the last thir first. The circle, the return, the coming back to the source. If we're seeing for the first time in 4,000 years, we're seeing the gospel coming to the family of Abraham, that is some epic stuff going on. Big stuff. Huge, huge stuff. But wait, it started there, and if it's coming back there, could the time be coming to an end? Could this actually be the culmination of the time, the end of the age of the Gentiles? Isn't that crazy? They were the first, and Christ said the first will be the last, didn't he? That's intense. Right, Andy? <laughs> That's crazy. How is it possible that we are the ones who get to see this happen? We're the ones who get to see God do this work. And you know what? It's true. Dean said it. Hey, don't send missionaries to Syria. It's too dangerous, and that's true. And God said, you know what? The devil's got this locked down in the Middle East, and I'm going to disturb it. And so 60 million of Middle Easterners are being scattered throughout the world. And, and from countries that are completely dark, right? C completely dark. So dark, you wear a head covering if you're a woman, so no one could even see your face, right? 
completely dark countries to the countries that were in blue and <laughs> where we have freedom and we can go to them and we can tell them about gospel, the gospel. And how amazing that Abraham's seed lives right down the road from us. Right down the road. That's incredible. So incredible. How could it possibly actually be? It's actually a little too big to believe. 4,000 years would pass. They'd be uprooted because they're in a nation that won't allow them to hear the gospel. The internet's invented all these different ways and phones and radio signals and blasting into their country, and yet it's all blocked off and they're still not allowed to hear the gospel. And God just is like, I'm going to get the gospel to who I'm going to get the gospel to. And 63.5 million of them are being dispersed. There's the Yazidis. Raise your hand if you've heard of the Yazidi people, right? They've not been reached. Not even really pursued. It's too dangerous. And there's, a, there's multiple Yazidi refugee villages just outside of where they used to live, but now they're safe. And two families in the past couple months have received Christ. Two Yazidi families that would have never received Christ were it not for that. And I heard that, not, not third or fourth hand, first hand from an eyewitness, and I was invited to go see. Just got to convince Robert to let me go there. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Is the gospel coming full circle? Because in order to get full circle, it has to go through the family of Abraham. It has to. Because God loves the family of Abraham. God loves Ishmael. God loves Keturah. And God says in his word that they're going to be there. They're going to be there with acceptance. And so it has to hit them. And so it will. Why are they here, guys? I'm going to wrap up in just a couple minutes. Why, why are they here? I think you get it. Because we got the gospel, right? My mom, I, I alluded to this, I grew up in a religious sect. We believed we were the only ones. You were all going to hell. That's what I was told growing up. Because none of us forgave you your sins. You didn't come to us and ask for forgiveness, so you're not getting it. <laughs> and it's really, really ridiculous. My mom talked to one of them. My mom grew up in the same group. We've all left. The Lord delivered our whole family out of there. And crazy, crazy to think. But my mom talked to one of them recently, met him for coffee, and she didn't really fully realize the extent to which this group believes that they're the only ones. And she said, hey, did, did you know that there are some people at your church, referring to the one my mom grew up in and I grew up in, that believe you're not forgiven your sins unless someone at this church forgives you your sins? And she was surprised that her friend would respond with, well, yeah. <laughs> That's a... Her friend told her, when you left the church, you left the faith. That's what, that's what she told her. What, what her friend was saying was, salvation belongs to us. Salvation belongs to us. And that's all the Muslims are saying right now. They're saying salvation belongs to us. But you know what? That's, that's nothing new. That's what the, uh, the Mormons are saying. Salvation belongs to us. That's what every other religion out there says, doesn't it? 
Don't they all say that? Salvation belongs to us? But that's not what we say. This may surprise you, but we never, ever, ever say the word salvation belongs to us. We don't. At the culmination of everything, the whole family of Abraham's had their chance. They heard the gospel. All the tribes and their 12,000 have received salvation. When it's all said and done, Revelation 7, 9, I know you guys know this one. This is what we say. John says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. That's what we say. We never say salvation belongs to Rocky Mountain Calvary. The day we do that, that lamp is blown out. It's done. No, we say salvation belongs to our God. Abraham's children are right down the road because salvation belongs to our God. That's why they're down there. 1 Timothy, and I'll close with this. Well, I just lied. I'm not going to close with that. I'm going to close with something else. <laughs> and Dan never spoke at church again. Okay. I will mention it, though. 1 Timothy 1.12, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me because he, caused, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Abraham's children are right down the road after 4,000 years of being way on the other side of the world, living in complete darkness because he counted us faithful. That's why he counted us faithful. And we got to do it. We got to be faithful. We got to go for it. There's a really good book. Happens to not be for sale today. And uh, I'm going to quote it for you. It's called Why Revival Tarries by Leonard Ravenhill. Many of you have probably read it. Ravenhill quotes George Deacon as saying, A vision without a task makes a visionary. A task without a vision is drudgery. A vision with a task makes a missionary. And what's the vision, guys? The vision is Revelation 7-9, seeing Abraham's children, right? Standing before the throne and being with them. And one voice saying, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. Seeing them in white robes, not just us, seeing them right beside us. The vision is seeing the culmination of the gospel throughout the age of the Gentiles coming back through the family of Abraham in our time to usher in the kingdom of God. That's the vision. What's the task? The task is to go and show the love of Christ to the people right down the road. Right down the road. Right literally down the road. No flights necessary. No passports. No immigration. No injections. <laughs> no background checks. And literally 25 cents worth of gas. Right down the road. And so tonight, would you guys just consider and go and talk to people who are doing this? And say, man, I want to find out more. You know what? They'll never ask you to make a commitment until it's time for you to just make a commitment.
You know what I mean? Come and find out what the ministry is like. Get some training. And if the Lord still stirs your heart, make a real commitment, a relational commitment. And visit the world that is literally right next door. And commit to doing it for a couple of years. A couple of years. My prison fellowship came in 2002, late, late, late 2002, to my church in Minnesota. And they said, we're looking for people to commit to two to three years, to going once a week for three hours to minister to one prisoner and, and adopt that prisoner. And I think that's what we need to do, guys. Commit. Find out more. We're not, we're not asking you to sign up. We're not used car salesmen. We're trusting. The Lord puts it on your heart. We trust that you'll do it. But make a commitment to really, really invest a couple years, a couple years into a family, Ishmael's seed. All right? Let me, let me close in prayer. Father, we just uh, thank you. We adore you. You're so good. You're so powerful. You're so incredibly powerful. And you're so complete. Lord, nothing, uh, nothing you start goes unfinished. And so, Lord, we just want to be used by you. You're starting a work in the, uh, the family of Abraham. And, God, we want to be used to, to do that work, to finish that work. And, God, so we just ask that you would just give us the privilege to do it. We pray for our government to say, let's, let's open the floodgates and let's bring in refugees. And, Lord, so many of them have sacrificed so much and waited so long to get here. And so, God, would you open doors? And, Lord, we pray you find us faithful. We pray you find us faithful. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.